the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network. The world for people who think... Testing one, one, two. This is Reality Calling. Welcome to Behind the Headlines on the new radio.sot.net radio show. Sunday, 21st of February, 2016, and we are live on our very own radio, in-house radio show broadcasting to the heart of the beast. Your hearts. Your, yes, your hearts. Are we coming through loud and clear? Anybody? Is there anybody out there? We hope you like our new setup. If you're having any problems, do let us know somehow. You can communicate with us in the chat room, which should be on your screens. Right now we have a chat room with a new page. If you're not getting through in that way, you can also drop us an email and someone... In-house will let us know Yeah, what's going on. No sound. No sound. Can't hear you. But we apparently it's, it's, it's all good. It's, we've, we've tested this a number of times, and we should be coming through crystal, yes. crystal clear. Excellent. Uh, for this show as well, um, we, we also have the ability for you to call in. Uh, you should be seeing, I'm not sure, do people have to refresh their page? No, you should be seeing on the on the page or on the player page. Uh, you should be seeing uh, an image there. Speak with the host. Uh, you can click that, uh, and it's a pretty simple process to um, a simple proce- process to get uh, in contact with us. Um, and as Neil just said, we also have the chat. So looks pretty good so far. And everybody who's listening to it is saying that it is very. Uh, clear and loud and clear, which is just like a uh, different world to uh, bog talk radio, um, which is like talking in the bog. We can just relax this week then, Joe. Yeah, we can just relax and let people... I don't have to shout anymore. No, you don't have to shout. You don't have to... <sighs> we don't have to figure out, you know, five minutes after we've been speaking that nobody can hear us or nobody's been hearing us for the past five minutes <laughs> and then have to, you know, find some way to reconnect. Anyway, so it's all good. Uh, and, of course, this is... Uh, all thanks to our super-duper uh, techs here who have sorted all this out. And even even at this stage, it's still kind of a, to a certain extent, a kind of beta version because we're going to be adding more functionality to the actual page that you're listening to the show on. Uh, hopefully there's going to be archives of our, from previous shows that you can easily just download and listen to and take away with you. There's uh, going to be possibly a kind of a news feed on there as well that will, as you're listening to the show, if you're watching it, if you're if you're actually sitting at the computer and watching uh, the screen uh, or at your screen as you're listening, you'll uh, there'll be a SOT News kind of ticker uh-huh. going Good, that yeah. uh, if something breaking news pops up, uh, you can all <laughs> let us know. Um, but other than that, yeah, this is kind of where we're at. I'm sure it'll go through various... Uh, in, in, Incarnations as well, because you know, 
as uh, in the same way as the science page has uh, over the years changed and evolved for the better, uh, we'll be we'll we'll probably be doing that with uh, with with the radio show page as well. So anyway, enough of that chit chat, chitter chatter. Um, what is our what are we talking about this week, Neil? World War Syria. Controlled chaos or out of control chaos? What got us thinking about the extremely tense situation in Syria right now is uh, one of a number of articles we published this week, um, particularly one from William Engdahl, who's he's had his finger on the pulse for decades, uh, watching the empire and its maneuvers. And um, he wrote something for New Eastern Outlook, and he reckons that the sort of chaos and contradictions coming out of what's going on inside Syria, around Syria, issues connected to Syria, ultimately are all, at least in substance, part of the Machiavellian maneuvering of said empire, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, say, allowing for a lot of room for it being simply things getting away from the empire, things getting out of control. Yes. Before we go there, actually, we should say that Harrison is with us tonight as well. For Harrison's been sitting there listening. (laughs) Say hello, Harrison. (laughs) Hi, everyone. How's it going? All right. So Harrison, I'm sorry, we got carried away, Harrison, talking talking <laughs> up the new uh, the new radio show uh, format. So um, oh, we forgot all we about forgot you. Oh, you. Sorry. Uh, you should have piped up there, Harrison. Pop up and freak around. Huh? <laughs> I yeah, you should pop in there randomly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, sorry. Uh, carry on, Neil. Yeah. So maybe we need to. <clears throat> Maybe we need to do a rundown on recent things in and around Syria in order to gauge, give some opinion of ours as to what it is. Is It's all going according to plan or it's all just falling apart or some combination of the two. Um, since so last week, or has it gone more than a week now? It's been about a week, I think. I mean, the, the Turks have been firing directly into Syria. In other times, that would have been a serious international crisis in itself, but in in the current context, in the current climate in the region and the broader global context, eh, it's just another incident. You know, it's another... uh, Well, you could interpret it as another uh, roadmark on the way to just chaos breaking out everywhere. Um, it, it, it is particularly egregious. I mean, obviously Syria is it's up in the air as to whether it's even still a functioning state. Um, some people would like to believe it's a failed state, period, and therefore it's exceptional. And this is what permits Western countries to bomb there without having any kind of international mandate. Turkey, of course, is uh, obviously picking up on the green light in that sense from its masters and saying, well, if the U.S. can come over here and blow the heck out of anything it wants in Syria, we can shell from across the border into Syria. Um, This incident wasn't completely out of the blue because in December, the Turks 
sent a force of some thousand troops into northern Iraq. So it's not completely breaking with uh, existing patterns. In any event, it's, of course, not the only thing going on because at the same time, there have been some serious bomb attacks in Turkey itself. And the latest took place in Ankara, the capital. And right in the center of the city, surrounded by government buildings, it seems to have targeted uh, one of their military buildings, barracks, I'm not sure. In any event, a number of Turkish military personnel were killed. Uh, okay, so you think terrorism, Turkey, well, it's got to be ISIS. No, Turkey says this is the Kurds. The Syrian Kurds, they say. The Syrian Kurds. Well, what they said. Yeah. yeah, the Syrian Kurds, but Turkey is saying, well, all Kurds are part of the same problem. They're all terrorists. Uh, they went further, though, than that. I mean, they basically accused Russia of not doing the bombing, but they warned Russia that its actions in Syria um, are enabling the Kurds to, to do these kind of attacks, to carry out these kind of attacks in Ankara. And of course, this gives Turkey just cause to do whatever the hell it likes in Syria and by extension in Iraq. Right. It's the most egregious, unbelievably bold-faced they're basically saying the Russians are behind the terrorists. They're taking the painstaking, well, it took a few weeks, when I say painstaking, the Russians presented a serious case to show how the Turkish government, adored by the Western elite, are behind ISIS, or at least have extremely dodgy ties with ISIS, particularly in terms of financing their operations in Syria and Iraq by siphoning oil out of Syrian oil fields. So you remember that, that was couple of months and weeks back. So the Turks now have just come up with this alternative narrative in which Russia is financing slash only uh, financing or at least facilitating Syrian Kurds in northern Syria to carry out terrorist attacks in Turkey. Well, you know, it's long been my opinion that Turkeys should be kept on a leash because they're, they're known as kind of wild and aggressive animals. And unfortunately, it seems in this case that someone over there in the Middle East, in a particular region, has um, decided to uh, let this turkey off the leash. Yeah. And that's a very bad thing, because turkeys are very aggressive animals, and they uh, tend to, when they feel a bit cornered, they, they strike out, you know. Um, so my uh, kind of understanding of the situation is that... The Turks have lost the plot, basically. It's almost as if... So um, you're going with out-of-control chaos. No, they're just they're psychos, psychos gone wild, basically. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just talking here about Erdogan and what, how do you pronounce his name? Davo Taglu or whatever his name is. Um, the guy with the Prime, moustache. The Prime Minister. He yeah. looks a bit like... Uh, who does he look like? Looks a bit like Mr. Magoo. Uh, but um, <clears throat> anyway, he's a little, you know crazy dwarf and Erdogan is obviously you know wannabe sultan type thing and the impression is that they <clears throat> that the Turks have um, kind of there's, an, there's a sense almost that they that they feel that they've been abandoned to a certain extent 
they've been abandoned by um, by their patron in in in, uh, in the West, uh, the USA, and because we see this with them complaining to the extent that they're allowed to complain, I suppose, um, about the U.S. not seeing the Kurds uh, or not um, categorizing the, the Kurds, the Kurdish militia and the, the, the Kurdish political parties as um, as terrorists, because according to the Turks, the Kurds are terrorists. Of course, the Kurds have been at the forefront from the very beginning of uh, fighting against these um, kind of jihadi mercenaries that have been pushed into uh, Syria to overthrow Syria by, uh, well, they've been pushed in there by Turkey, by the Saudis, by Qatar, by the US, and probably by Israel and a bunch of other people. So the Kurds have been fighting against them primarily to, to safeguard their own interests, which is their own home, homeland, both in Iraq and in Syria and ultimately in part of Turkey as well. That would be, this is the thing that scares the crap out of Erdogan and co, is that if the Kurds are making headway, i.e. with the support of the, the Assad government and with the support of the Russians, there's a deal going on there, well, then the Kurds are, are growing in, this, in strength in their position to carve out a piece of land in northern Iraq from Mosul up to the, to, to the Turkish border um, and then in Syria, across into Syria, a contiguous piece of land in northern Syria, which may actually be behind closed doors being agreed with uh, the, the Assad government on, and also with the Russians, kind of like a three-way kind of deal being struck there where essentially Assad would say with the blessing of the Russians listen let the Kurds give the Kurds something give them a piece of Syria an autonomous region maybe let's say uh, and, but the problem for the Turks is that if there's a Kurdistan forming in Iraq into Syria well then you close the circle by taking a big chunk of Turkey mm-hmm. and this is what the Kurds in Turkey have been lobbying for for years and were promised a hundred years ago, after the First World War, mm-hmm. were promised their own state, and they were entitled to it. Uh, and there's, you know, there's maybe, it would be a country of 40 million people of ethnic Kurds, effectively. Um, so Erdogan is freaking out about this, and the fact that the U.S. seems to not be um, you against know, this, principle. not against that idea. They're 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 terrified, and that is what is leading them to uh, to to act out. Basically, you know, um, it's kind of like. They are, and I mean, these bombing attacks are so transparent. I mean, it's undoubtedly being perpetrated by members of uh, Turkish intelligence or, or whoever inside Absolutely. Turkey who are blowing up their own, their own soldiers and, and blaming it on the Kurds. They, they blamed can, it on the splinter group of the PKK. Right. But whatever, well, works actually, to kind of they, demonize the Kurds. Go yeah. ahead, Harshan. They, origin- they originally blamed it on like the Syrian Kurds, the YPG, who were fighting in Syria. And then the splinter group apparently... Um, claimed responsibility for it. So this is the TAK. They're this um, this kind of, like you, you search for them online and there's very little information about them. They've been in the news uh, since 2004, but no one really knows where they came from, who they are. They are, the, the, you know, there's speculation that they're either linked with the PKK, which is the Turkish, you know, Kurdish group, which, um, which Turkey is basically at war with right now, and, but some say they aren't, so it's just, but it's the, really suspicious. Yeah, this, the PKK have denied any association with them. Which, yeah. And this is, a, we have no when you have some them. group like this that comes out of nowhere, and that presents itself speaking on behalf of a certain cause, it's a classic sign that it's what the British used to call a pseudo-gang. It's setting up a phony opposition. 
it may not even exist as such. It's simply a label that you can refer to after you've carried out your own false flag terrorist attack. Uh, the, the Turks have, it's as clear as day to us. I mean, they have just blown up their own capital, <clears throat> which isn't actually a completely shocking event because just, just last month they did the same thing in Istanbul. Right. They have no, they have no shame. Deliberately targeting German yeah. tourists yeah. at German Square or whatever right. it's called in Istanbul. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, I mean, th- I think that was a message to to a directed message by this, because you have to remember that within Turkey, there's the, and I wrote about it uh, last year, late last year, uh, within Turkey, there's a kind of fifth column within the government that uh, it's associated with the intelligence, Turkish intelligence and uh, tur- the Turkish military intelligence. And they're basically kind of like a, a NATO group. They're controlled ultimately by, or their allegiance, or they were formed from a kind of NATO kind of stay behind network and it's a state within a state effectively. It's very well known in Turkey. There's been lots of scandals about it. Um and the the thing is that these um these people have no no qualms about uh about, about carrying out these kind of terrorist attacks and the one that blew out that killed a bunch of Germans specifically was clearly a, a message from these people inside Turkey to the German government I would say uh, about um about terrorism and about, and, but once you get into that, once you get into something that implies a threat to, a threat of terrorism of of Muslim terrorism, ISIS terrorism in 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 Europe, for example, by killing Germans in Turkey, you're saying, well, you know, there's a threat to Germans here, and it could be on German soil. Uh, this is all to do with the whole kind of like basically keeping Germany. It's almost like, I mean, it tracks back to the U.S. Ultimately, what I see happening in Turkey and obviously in Saudi Arabia and Qatar and all that kind of stuff and in Syria is all, I see the hand of the U.S. behind it all, but a veiled hand where they have the ability to control what goes on in Turkey and with these kind of groups inside. And it's because any a threat to Europe or an attempt to destabilize Europe through through the threat of ISIS terrorism in Europe is very much the domain of the U.S. empire builders of keeping Europe uh, destabilized and, and, and under control so that it doesn't basically yeah. uh, fall into the hands of Russia. I mean, this is and a game they've been playing for a long time. Exactly. And blowing up Turkish soldiers in the Turkish capital right when you're launching shells across the border into Syria mm-hmm. and therefore in some way facilitating it just calls for what they're doing. That is the M.O. of... Uh, U.S. slash Western intervention for the last century. So if it's the Turks doing it, so to speak, a stay-behind slash secret NATO mm. organization embedded within the Turkish infrastructure, then it's because upstairs trained them well yeah. in exactly how to do it. And you say it's Turkey off the leash, so yeah. they're doing increasingly brazen things. Yeah, I mean, that what you mentioned at the beginning where, mm. where the Prime Minister turns around and says... In response to these uh, so-called terror attacks inside uh, Turkey, the Prime Minister turns around, turns around and says, we will hold uh, Russia directly responsible for any further attacks in Turkey. I and mean, it's like, what do you mean? You just blamed it on ISIS. How you blame? Well, it's, well, you blamed it on the Kurds. Yeah. Well, you see, the Kurds are being supported by the Assad government and who's supporting the Assad government, therefore, i.e. Russia. Therefore, Russia is um, directly responsible. And we, I mean, this, this little tin pot dictator wannabe is, is sitting there threatening as Obama said just a few weeks ago, the second largest military in the world and probably the first, the most most effective at this point, military power in the world, this little country, Turkey, is 
brazenly and openly threatening them with, with violence effectively and accusing them of carrying out terror attacks that they're obviously not responsible for and threatening some retaliation against the Russian military. I mean, this guy is obviously has lost his marbles and I think it's because they feel that they either feel really empowered, like they, 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 can, they can do whatever they want or they feel like they're being abandoned by everybody and like a rat kind of trapped in the corner, they're lashing out at everybody and, and just behaving increasingly irrationally, you know? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's I have the impression these people just, um, you know, getting, you know, like throwing tantrums basically and, and lashing out at everybody, you know, and demanding, for example, that the U.S. Uh, define the Kurdish, uh, the, the Kurds, the Kurdish uh, militia or Kurdish uh, uh Kurdish political parties as terrorist organizations and the US is like, well, yeah, we don't really want to do that. And they're like, mm, oh, I hate you, America. I hate Russia too. And gee, I really hate Assad. And like, they're just, you can see the blood pressure kind of going up and, you know, they're almost like, you know, their next, I'm expecting what they're going to say next is that if Turkey doesn't get its way, if everybody doesn't agree with what Turkey wants, i.e. overthrowing Assad, Calling, demonizing the Kurds and killing all the Kurds if possible. Uh, if if we don't get a global agreement on that, we're gonna. I'm gonna hold my breath until my face turns blue, and then I don't know. I might, might explode after that or something. At the same time, the Financial Times is reporting at least 400 Islamist fighters backed by Turkey entered Syria overnight. By the way. By the way, they just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, everyone knows ISIS comes across the border from Turkey, mm. by the way. You've got to feel sorry for the, for the Turks, though. I mean, uh, they really have been, I mean, there's, despite the manipulation and, and lies and distortions of the Western media, they can still put in every single article, you know, the brutal dictator Assad supported by Russia, blah, blah. But they, they themselves can't even deny the fact that uh, Russia aligning with uh, the Assad government and three Syrian army and, and the Kurds, this kind of alignment along with Iran playing its part in Hezbollah and even apparently some Palestinian uh, elements within fighting against this ISIS, which is effectively fighting against the, the empire builders, the agents of empire. Um, the, the impression that you get from, um, from, from the Western media uh, that they can't deny really is that uh, this is really bad news for Turkey. It's bad news for ISIS. It's bad news for this entire ISIS conspiracy, effectively, that was to overthrow the the, the Syrian government. It's not working. They're totally. They're kind of on. ISIS is on the run. Uh, the Assad government is is making good on its claim that it was going to take back pretty much all of uh, Syria. Because if you notice, if you look at a map of Syria, they have um, Homs, Aleppo, and Damascus in line along the kind of more or less. Uh, close to the eastern or the western coast of Syria, uh, but and, and the more or less at this point joined up those three uh, major major cities in, um, in Syria. And if the Assad government and the Syrian army, etc., take, effectively take that and, and get rid of any, any terrorist factions there, that will pretty much be the culmination of this claim of Assad that we're going to take back the whole country. Because if you look to the east, of those that line of those three cities in, in in Syria, most of it is kind of sparsely inhabited desert. Yeah. So once you've done the the, the west coast, that's pretty much it. And um, it's just it's it's, it's so that's, that's why it's, it's Aleppo is like a last stand. Mm -hmm. It's it's got 
taking things up a notch. Absolutely. Well, that's why you're hearing Saudi Arabia's going to invade, yeah. Qatar's going to invade, Turkey's going to invade. These people are getting desperate because they realise that, that they're losing big time here and um, and all of the rhetoric and all of the, the, the screaming and shouting and, and threats that they're levelling at everybody uh, is just so much hot air because Russia's like, whatever, you know. Uh, is it hot air? Is it brinksmanship? Because the Turks have actually moved tanks across the border. They're building trenches, apparently, yeah, north well, of Aleppo. Right. Well, that's just that's to prevent to try and prevent um, this, their, their greatest fear, which is um, the creation of a, of a Kurdistan or, or a, a, yeah. a, a Kurdish, autonomous, Kurdish autonomous area in, in northern Syria that would, that would be a threat to, that could you know, effectively join up with the Kurds in Turkey and over a period of time would ultimately give a lot more strength to the, that, that uh, Kurdish faction that is, has been for a long time demanding some kind of uh, independence, you know. I mean, you're talking here maybe just about an autonomous region. You're talking about uh, not necessarily that it would be a separate country, because that's maybe down the line. But the first step to that would be an autonomous Kurdish uh, region, regions, let's say, one in Iraq, joining up directly with one in Syria, and and then naturally joining up with one in uh, one, one being established in in Turkey. Uh, so they would want kind of devolvement. They, you know, they wouldn't draw the borders and create a whole country all of a sudden. But the first step to doing that and getting that would be a kind of autonomy, autonomy for a you know decentralized uh, Kurdish government in Turkey, Syria, and Iraq. And the, this is just about power for these these nut jobs uh, like Erdogan and Co. and people in the West. And they just uh, that's just a loss of power for them. And it's it's like a red rag to uh, a crazy bull. Why is it such a a red line for Saudi Arabia and Qatar. I can understand Turkey. I think they have a massive Kurdish population. Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of regional hegemony as well, in, in, in the sense that um, the, the the Saudis have always feared uh, Iran as as a major pl- a player. I mean, Iran uh, at this point is already as already on the road with the, with, the, with the removal of sanctions and the welcoming of Iran back into the global community, let's say. Um, Iran is already at the point of displacing or is threatening to displace Saudi Arabia as the major player in the Middle East because Iran has as much oil and gas as Saudi Arabia has, you know. Um, so the, this initially, initially the desire to get rid of Assad and the creation of ISIS and throwing ISIS into, into Iraq and Iraq you know, creating ISIS out of Iraq, out of the, the occupation, the U.S. occupation of Iraq, and the, the efforts they went to there to create uh, this kind of a, a mercenary force in Iraq then move them into Syria to overthrow the Assad government. This was uh, definitely the Saudis and the Qataris were online with that because the original goal of that was to uh, facilitate a Qatari, at least this was one option, was to allow for a Qatari pipeline from the gas field in the Persian Gulf, the Qatar gas field in the Persian Gulf uh, that Qatar shares with <coughs> with Iran across on the other side. It's a giant uh, gas field, uh, and Qatar is part of it's in, in Qatar's uh, territorial waters, and the other half is in Iranian Qatar territorial waters. So they, the Qataris and the Saudis, wanted to because they're basically joined at the hip. You know, their head choppers are us. You know, united in the love of chopping heads and repressing people everywhere. So. Uh, and their hatred of women. So these guys hated the Assad uh, government because Assad, uh, historically, this is, we, we wrote about this in the past, the Assad government historically, has, Syria has been aligned with Russia 
and there's, it's basically a whole competing faction that then uh, goes out to uh, to the US and the US wanting to maintain control over uh, the Middle East and at the same time keep Russia back, push Russia back economically and in all of its attempts to <clears throat> you know, sell its oil and gas. Um, so uh, Syria had to go to allow for uh, the Saudis and Qataris to maintain their uh, hegemony in the Middle East, which was on behalf of the US. Of course, this gas and uh, gas and oil pipelines coming from Qatar and Saudi Arabia <coughs> going through <coughs> uh, Syria into Turkey and then into Europe was a way to push America, push Russia, Russian influence or Russian uh, investment and access to uh, the, the population, the, the, the revenues from the sale of Russian oil and gas to Europe. There's, there's a whole grand strategy to basically neuter and shut off and cut out uh, Russia from uh, the major market for oil and gas, which was Europe. And it's not just a major market in terms of uh, oil and gas. I mean, I mean, it is that, but that market, having access to that market and being the dominant player in that market would make Russia uh, a major diplomatic and political uh, broker and um, give them a lot of political influence over Europe. And this was just, these were all signs seen by the, the, the US uh, empire builders as know, one more nail in their coffin and they did everything and they got their friends in the Middle East to create this uh, phony mercenary army to to take care of the Assad government and uh, it hasn't gone uh, very well because it's obvious, I mean, the fact that Russia intervened makes it clear that what I'm saying here is, is probably the truth because uh, why did Russia intervene in, um, in, in Syria at that point? Clearly it was in Russia's interest that what I just said, uh, Russia understood that obviously, they understood that the overthrow uh, of the Assad government and the coup, like a coup in, established or, or a coup um, carried out by, effectively by ISIS, mer proxy mercenary forces of the US and Israel and um, the Saudis and Qataris and Turkey, that they understood that, that <clears throat> the goal of that was to hurt Russia. So before it got to the point where that was going to be achieved, where the Assad government was going to be uh, kicked out and overthrown, given the Gaddafi treatment, uh, Russia stepped in, and it wasn't. I mean, you could say it's for humanitarian reasons, but you know, it's 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 not as uh, uh, it's not as uh, simple as that. Obviously, the the Russians did it for very clear strategic, geostrategic, and political reasons, economic reasons. Okay, I think you've answered the question, but let's just address it anyway. Engdahl reckons the reality creators in Washington even though Russia intervened maybe and caught them by surprise, let's, let's just assume that for a second, they've nevertheless got a situation now where they've manipulated Russia and the Turks, Saudi Arabia and Qatar into a fatal trap. I'm pretty sure he, he didn't use the term fatal trap, but he did mention a trap, specifically that Russia's in a situation now where it, it's, it's, it's something can happen between their troops in Syria and, say, the Turks, and that would be it, be all she wrote. I don't know if he's saying that's you go from zero to a nuclear war overnight, but he's certainly suggesting a regional conflagration in which Russia is, no, what is, is then forced to react. Right, no well, what, happened, well, what, what would happen in that situation would be that uh, what you'd go to overnight would be Turkey getting its ass handed to it and America saying, can't we all be friends? You all need, you all need to kind of uh, remain calm here. 
So you, you and Russia would go. Uh, now we're going to bomb some more of these uh, Turkish tanks because they shot at us. Well, this is it. They haven't done it yet. But no, we, but are we did. coming up to the situation where Russia will launch airstrikes against Turkish? No, tanks? because the Turks are the Turks would do it themselves. The Turks would do something that would provoke it first. Well, they, they here's the thing, though they've already done it. They shot down a Russian plane right, in Syria. Yeah, but they only get one chance at that. And, but they're not, they're not smart enough to not do that again. I think they would. And if they do that again, you know, you don't provoke a Russian bear twice, you know. It'll let you off once, but you do it twice and that's it. And Russia, I have no doubt Russia has no qualms whatsoever about teaching people a lesson. It'll, it, it extends the olive leaf and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, plays a nice card. But you don't, you don't piss, piss someone off who, uh, twice who can basically, uh, who can, like I said, <laughs> okay. hand your ass to you, you know. In that respect, then we agree with Engdahl in the sense that and others, too, who are noticing how tense the situation is. And the tension comes from the fact that somebody is about to, to swipe the bear in the face again. Only this time, it very probably will result in heavy retaliation. Well, it'll, it'll be enough of a retaliation to make it clear that, uh, that Turkey, to make tur- the Turks think twice uh, about doing it again and make them, make them realize that they don't, that they, that they don't, they're not as... Uh, they're not all that effectively. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they, they don't have what it takes to go head-to-head with Russia, you know? Well, a continuation of um, Engdahl's point is that uh, the situation there going hot in the sense of two state militaries directly confronting each other. I mean, right now it's a proxy war. It's, it's, <laughs> the, the Kurds aren't really a proxy force of the Russians, but let's pretend for the sake of the argument they are Kurdish proxy forces versus ISIS proxy forces mm-hmm. controlled, in quotes, from Ankara. I mean, it's, uh, it's so nearly a hot war, you know, it, mm-hmm. it may as well be one. Okay, and it could go hot in the sense of two states duking it out in some, some way or another. Now, Engdahl reckons in the end, Washington wins, that that suits them just fine. And that is partially why we're seeing Russia and the U.S., talk nice mm-hmm. at the moment, for the most part, while Turkey is completely off the leash and the Saudis are sending their own fighters into Turkey as well to mm-hmm. participate, it seems, mm-hmm. in a confrontation with Russia. Mm-hmm. Does that hold water in the end, even though the, the empire as such was caught off guard by an intervention by Russia into Syria, mm-hmm. in the end, they've adapted, absorbed the new situation and have regain the upper hand no, by coming out on first by coming out first in the event of Turkey and Russia actually duking it out they wouldn't how would they come out on top uh, how, Tur- how would Turkey come out on top I mean how would the US come out on top they, they wouldn't because uh, it would I don't think Engdahl specified but I imagine that it's simply chaos increasing chaos in the region um, that then forces another situation where oh listen this has to stop if there's chaos, the reason the only the only ones who are going to to lose big time are Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and, and other Gulf monarchies and the U.S. Because they they all they all have already lost. They are all acting in a way that makes it clear that they are all kind of on the back foot. They all they don't know what to do. They're they're acting in increasingly uh, irrational ways. So uh, they have nothing to gain. I mean, Russia has everything to gain from allowing them to continue to act increasingly irrationally. Russia's been demonized for years by pretty much everybody, by all these people that we're talking about. 
in the media in the West, they've, they've called Russia all sorts of names. Putin killed my baby, blah, 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 blah. And uh, so Russia, in that sense, has no, has no reputation to uphold uh, because they, they've, they've trashed their reputation. They, they don't have to pander to the West. To, 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 they're still acting as they, as they are on the basis of what they're, on what they're genuinely motivated by, which is their own interests, which are reasonable, fair interests. And they'll continue to do that to the continue to look, despite the demonization by the West, Russia will continue to look to all reasonable right-thinking people as a reasonable and rational player in, in the region. But the fact that they've been demonized and, and treated so badly uh, and because they have followed a proper course of action in this, any action they take, uh, for example, they've already backed down and not taken any action against the, the shooting down of their plane by the, by, the, by the Turks. If the Turks do that again, or if, uh, if, for example, Russia's bombing in in Syria and happens to drop some bombs on some Turkish tanks, and Turkey says, this is outrageous, this is intolerable, uh, Russia will go, well, what, what were you doing there? We're, we're bombing terrorists. Everybody hates ISIS, right? Uh, we're bombing ISIS. If you put your tanks in the way, I'm sorry, but, you know, well, you maybe need to communicate with us more about what you're actually doing. You know, I mean, there's loads of scope there for Russia to continue with that diplomatic angle that they've been doing uh since last September, trying to say to the Brits and the Americans, listen, you need to tell us what you're doing, you know, coordinate with us, you know, because we're all fighting ISIS, right? I mean, they've got such an upper hand in that respect because, you know, for the past few years, previous to last September, the the Americans and the Brits and the Europeans all hyped this threat of ISIS. Oh, look how horrible they are and got everybody in the West totally just terrified about ISIS and, and wanting, wanting them to be destroyed while not doing anything about it, saying, like, wringing their hands, you know, all worried about, oh, ISIS, and not doing anything about it. The U.S. did nothing. The Brits did nothing, you know. I mean, even recent, even since since the British vote on going, you know, bombing uh, last December and bombing in, in Syria, they have uh, killed, uh, by their own admission, by the British Ministry of Defense's admission, they've killed seven ISIS terrorists in uh, almost three months of bombing. And they're... And their fabled uh, brimstone missiles that they said were going to be the main reason we can bring these new brimstone missiles to uh, Syria to get ISIS because they are the best super, you know, red, white, and blue, kissed by the Queen before, you know, at each each one leaves the production line, the Queen blesses it and stuff. They're going to get these evil ISIS terrorists, and they, they also admitted on that one that they haven't actually. Uh, I think they fired some, but they haven't um, haven't killed anybody. They haven't they haven't done anything to to degrade ISIS. I mean, they're, I, I they're just so full of crap and everybody hears it, but at the same time, they're, they're being terrifying the Western populations with this threat of ISIS while doing nothing about it. What a perfect opportunity for Russia to step in and go, okay, we'll do it. And then when Russia's doing it, Russia's like, well, what, what are you complaining about? We're bombing ISIS. You, you terrified your population about ISIS. They all want them dead. We basically have the backing of your entire Western population to do what we're doing. And you're, you're, you, the Brits and the Americans, are in the position of having to criticize us for doing what you have, for, for, for dealing with the problem, the problem that you created in the minds of your own populations, that you created this massive uh, motivation and support for, for, for destroying ISIS. We're doing it, and you want to criticize us for it? Really? You expect to? I mean, Russia has easily just stepped in and taken the moral high ground on that one. I mean, it's bizarre that they would have done that. If you talk about being led into a trap or being set up for a trap, like Engel mm. talks about, the only people who have been put in a trap and caught with their pants down over the past uh, five or six months is very clearly the Americans, mm-hmm. the Turks, the Saudis and the Qataris, who all are, 
or and the Israelis who are all responsible for ISIS uh, as a mercenary army to try and overthrow the Assad government. And they've they've lost out big time. They've been hoisted on their own petard. Absolutely. It's glorious. I'm having images now of the Queen at Sandhurst with brimstone missiles. Yep. I declare <laughs> this yeah. armament holy. Yes. God bless her <laughs> and all the evil terrorists that she blows to pieces. No, don't bless the terrorists. Bless the missile. Damn the terrorists. <laughs> well, there's, there's one it's other Harrison aspect there. to this. Harrison, yeah. What yeah. do you want to say? Yeah. Um... I want to know what you guys think about this because uh, I think it was a month or two ago, Seymour uh, Hirsch put out an article where he revealed that, you know, for, according to his sources, there were individuals within the Pentagon who were not so happy with the um, kind of CIA line on Syria and training Syrian rebels. And they, the, the Pentagon guys, actually were sharing intelligence with the Russians and with the Syrians. And then there's also the the fact that the U.S., well, at least the Pentagon, again, does support the YPG in northern Syria. And then late last year, they, they named this new group, the SDF, the Syrian Democratic Forces, which was comprised of um, some Kurdish elements, the YPG, and local militia fighters, and they have reportedly even sent um, various um, kind of special forces units over there to help train and, and with logistics. So it seems, well, and the and so the SDF, this um, kind of U.S.-created or at least U.S.-supported um, group in northern Syria have been the ones who have been helping to um, create that pocket in northeast Syria um, where we, we've heard in the news about that town, Azaz, that's where the Turks are shelling, basically. Right. So we've got these basically U.S.-supported Kurdish and Syrian militias who are helping the Syrian army and fighting with the Syrian army in that region. They're the ones that um, breached that gap and closed the um, the supply line from Turkey down to, um, is it... Uh, I can't remember which city if it, it is, if it's Homs, but one of the main supply lines running from Turkey into Syria. So what's up with the with the U.S. line on this? Because this is one of the points that Engdahl wonders about, and he, he thinks that this is all kind of part of the Machiavellian scheme, that all of the, the kind of um, ceasefire and negotiation lines coming out of John Kerry and anything that seems kind of... Um, aligning with the Russian stance and probably even these, these, this support they're giving to fighters in Syria is all part of the, the big plan to eventually um, result in you know, a bigger conflagration, more chaos in the region, more fighting, and where the U.S. will come out on top. So how, how does the U.S. figure, like, or at least this branch within the Pentagon, you know, what should we think about what these guys are doing? Like, what's their aim? In, in supporting the... In supporting the YPD, the the Syrian Kurds. YPG, yeah. But this is this. I think in line with what Joe said. What if it's this? What if this part? This is part of them getting hoisted on their own petard. Remember, the YPD came across into northern Syria from northern Iraq. They spent the last ten years or more, twenty years even, being trained, funded, armed by the Mossad and the CIA. They had them on the back burner, mm -hmm. possibly for this kind of intervention in Syria, maybe ultimately to create a Kurdistan, who knows, a useful mercenary force 
in northern Iraq. The situation starts in uh, Syria in 2011. Oh, the Kurds are coming across to free their brothers, yada, yada, yada. And then Assad has a problem. The problem is that for them, their support... You remember there was a period about two years ago where there were all these emotional um, feel-good stories about the, the brave Kurdish fighters in northern Iraq fighting against the evil Assad regime mm-hmm. and that we should all get behind them. And, and former Australian SAS were all joining the Kurds. And they, oh, they have lots of women fighters, super brave people. They put their female fighters up on the front lines. You remember all those stories? But that was part yeah. of the drive to get support for the, for the fact they'd already created that the YPD were brought in to take out Assad. Now they've got a serious problem because Russia's intervened and the YPD is like, okay, fair enough, the enemy's ISIS. We're, we'll deal yeah. with our issues with Assad afterwards politically. And then the and Pentagon's like, along. no, 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 we brought you in to kill Assad. What are yeah. you doing? Mm-hmm. I think that's how it is. And, and you should remember also that um, the Kurds in northern Iraq have been a, a, a group that have been, like Neil was just saying, was, have been nurtured and trained and armed and funded uh, for a long time. I mean, the Kurds were, for a long time, were, were being supported by the US and by the Israelis as a way, as a kind of fifth column or as a way to divide up Iraq to put pressure on um, on, on, on Saddam Hussein and uh, on, the, on the Iraqi government at the time. Um, this is pre-2003 and, and afterwards in the, during the... Um, during the occupation, the whole idea for Iraq going back to the 1980s was to divide it up into three separate countries, a Kurdistan in the north, uh, Sunnis in the middle, and Shia in the south, I think. And um, so, so th- that has been on the back burner for a long time. That, that support for uh, Kurds by, by the U.S. has been there for a long, long time. And now that um, with, with the idea of, I think it may even be a plan behind the scenes for uh, were, the, were the U.S. and its support for the for ISIS and in, in, in its effort to overthrow the, the Syrian government, there was probably a deal cut there as well with the Kurds, where the Kurds would um, would be given some kind of an autonomous region in Syria as well. You know, it fit just extend the idea for Iraq um, into Syria. They wanted to break Syria up into into different regions, um, so they were they were probably their support for Syrian Kurds. Uh, just falls in line with the idea of breaking up these countries, but uh, like I, like Neil was saying, with the intervention of, um, I mean, I mean, the U.S. the empire of chaos, as, as Pepe Escobar calls it, it, it kind of betrays everybody ultimately, and no one can trust them, and eventually realizes bad a bad idea to make a deal with these people, um, and I think the Kurds are realizing that uh, because they realize that uh, the U.S. doesn't really control this situation in Syria anymore, and the Kurds in Syria stand to lose out to ISIS, they may, may get nothing if they don't take a stand uh, against them because it's not just the U.S.'s plan in Syria anymore. It's Turkey is involved with sending jihadis and weapons and, and money into Syria and and the, the Saudis and the Qataris have, to a certain extent, their own um, agenda or maybe developing their own agenda in that respect as well. So um, in that situation, the Syrian Kurds go, well, listen, who's, who's the best bet here for us to to get what we want, which is our own autonomous region. It's very clear that, that Russia is the, is the one to go to because they've stepped in and said, you know, we're, we're, we're the movers and shakers. We're actually doing something here. We're creating facts on the ground. I mean, the, the West, along with Turkey and the Gulf states, thought they would create facts on the ground by setting in, sending these jihadis into Syria, and that would be uh, just let that run its course type thing, uh, and that would be the end of the Assad government. But then... Russia steps in and says no and starts basically bombing the crap out of these uh, 
Western-backed mercenaries, and uh, suddenly the game changes, and Russia is the one to go to if you want something in Syria, if you if you have an interest, a vested interest, uh, and you have to get the agreement of Russia. It has to be in line with Russia's uh, Russia's interests. And at this point, I think Russia uh, realizes that the Kurds, uh, they have brokered a deal effectively between the Kurds and the Syrian government to give the Kurds what they want and get the Kurds on side. Um, and that's that's bad news. They've effectively taken away the allegiance, such as it was, of the Kurds, taking the allegiance of the Kurds to, to the West, taking it away from them, and and take it, Russia has taken that for themselves. So it's it's just bad across the whole uh, the whole spectrum of the, of the situation, and that's why we're seeing these people go nuts. Turkey's reaction is making real their worst nightmare by now bombing the Syrian Kurds. <laughs> They're bringing about a situation where the Syrian Kurds, uh, if they didn't before, have a direct antagonism with Istanbul, and that it means that there's a natural the creating situation where there's an actual enemy yeah. on their southern border mm-hmm. where before there wasn't. Remember, although it's being portrayed in the West as, in brief summaries as well, yeah, it looks like Erdogan really hates Assad with a powerful will. This is a this is a modern. This is seven years only in the making. Before that, they were. They had awesome trade relations, mm-hmm. awesome relations until, all around. Up until 2011. They made, a, they made a gamble, they made a strategic decision to go with Operation Kick Assad out. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's brought about their worst nightmare where uh, the, only way, the, the only way they can contain the situation now is to effectively conduct a war, of, a siege war against the Kurds in their own mm-hmm. country, inside yeah. their own borders. And that's going to look bad. And then kill as many Serbs as they can get their hands on over the border in, 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 in northern Syria. It's, I, I think it's as, as simple as, for Turkey, it's as simple as that. It is completely blown up in their faces. I mean, they had it so good before. Stable relations with Syria mm-hmm. meant the Kurds were contained. Mm-hmm. Now they have their worst nightmare coming to the fore, where up to a third of their country and more of their population uh, could be going on. Or basically... They're basically enemies of the state, mm-hmm. and they're treated as such in yeah. Turkey. They wanted it all. They weren't willing to compromise. Anybody who's not willing to compromise in this day and age with uh, your shifting geopolitical realities and, and the rise of different political parties and, and national movements, if you're not willing to compromise um, with those with those people, uh, especially if it's if it's a genuine yeah. uh, movement, oh, uh, then savages. then you're, you're you're screwed. You know, I mean, you remember last summer the they had they've had they had two rounds of elections last year. And I think in the summer one, the main Kurdish party, which isn't an exclusively Kurdish, I think it tries to have broad appeal. It's more of like a lefty socialist party in Turkey. They, they made huge gains. And then they had like a, some kind of rally like to celebrate or something. And they go and set off a bomb in the middle of it. Mm. and just, just obliterate 30 of them. And that's the kind of attitude against their own you know you want to know about a dictator killing his own people Mm. well that is it Mm. right there it's a blunt force instrument type thing you know that's all these people know when they see power slipping away they 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 act as the psychopaths they are which they lash out and just they have no 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 qualms no compunction about saying yeah you plant a bomb in the middle of them that'll that'll teach them a lesson that'll that'll cow them and fail them this is the kind of attitude these psychos in power all around the world take to the ordinary people of this planet which is when ordinary people get together in a kind of like group 
and, and want some change in some way uh, challenge the established authorities for injustice, the psychos in this pathocracy that we live in, with psychopaths in positions of power, their, their response to that natural, reasonable and fair uh, desire of a group of people to have some change is to kill them. Here's another headache and a half. For in democracies that happens. Do you know what the largest um, ethnic population in Germany is? Kurds. Outside of Germans. It's Kurds. Yep. Decades of, of cultivating the Kurds on their side, the, the West in general, gave them favorable status. So there are a million Kurds in Germany, more now because many of those Syrian refugees are actually also Kurds, and they have, they've enjoyed, uh, I think, favored status in Germany. So they have mass protests whenever there's something, some Kurdish issue comes up. They, uh, they have, definitely have an in with the German government. And so now you have a situation where Kurdish sympathies are flipped to the pro-Russian stance on this issue, which is that no, Sadat, uh, Assad, Saddam, Assad is the, the legitimate sovereign of, of Syria, and the Kurds support that. Turkey provokes the hell out of the Kurds. And what's that doing in Germany? I, I think this is accidental. This Is it accidental, though? This is where you come into the, the convergence of, of the the broadest geopolitical goals. If, for example, we say that the Syrian refugee crisis is in some way channeled or being targeted at Germany and Europe in general with a view to disintegrating it, yeah. is it just one of those things that is, this is merging with another issue? It's pathetic. I mean, I, I'm so embarrassed to be European, you know. Uh, uh, I don't really identify as European, but I'm embarrassed to be ruled by this bunch of kind of quizzlings effectively in Europe. It's pathetic. None of them have a backbone between them. Uh, Merkel, Hollande, all these kind of people. Um, they, Donald Tusk, who is this uh, Polish, uh, former Polish prime minister, now is the, um, the president, the European, the president of the European Commission, or whatever, European Parliament, or whatever. He said last year, that he heard, he didn't name anybody, but he heard in political cir circles for the first time ever, he heard people talking about the, that refugees were being used as a political weapon against Europe. And this was just ignored by the, it was in the media, but it was just, yeah, this is what he said, moving on. Like, should that not be investigated? What, you, what the president of Europe, let's say, just said was that he heard people in positions to, to do this, he heard them saying that, that the, they were using the refugees against Europe. They were deliberately pushing them into Europe to create a refugee crisis to put pressure on European countries, on the European Union. Um, so you have, uh, and, and the obvious most likely candidate for, for the people doing this are the Turks, you know, uh, and, and, and this state within the state in Turkey. They're boasting about it. Right. They're saying, we're doing remember it. who controls the refugee right. flow right. to Europe and right last, now. And yeah, exactly. And late last year, the European Union, you know, passed the hat around and collected 3 billion euros and gave it to Turkey to deal with the refugee crisis so they don't have any more refugees coming to Europe. And Turkey went, well, thanks for the money, uh, but I spent it all. Uh, I don't have any more for the refugees. <laughs> More or less, because a month or two later, the European uh, Merkel and, and others in Europe were asking, politely asking Turkey, could you please use that three billion euros we just gave you to handle the refugee crisis? And Turkey's like, meh, don't know, maybe, I might, maybe one or two, but uh, I spent it all. 
I spent most of it on sweets and and, and Turkish delight. Uh, that's more or less what they and, and and the Europeans are like, mm, okay, well, what if we give you an L3 billion euros? I mean, really? I mean, it's 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 pusillanimous. You know, it's so it's just pathetic. It's embarrassing to watch it. And um, so yeah, that's the that's the Turkish. I mean, I mean, obviously the whole thing is being manufactured to a certain extent, and it's being manipulated. The whole refugee crisis in Europe. I mean, this thing uh, that was in the news on New Year's Eve, where all these women were uh, allegedly, or were apparently, a certain number of them were 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 in some way abused or uh, manhandled by thousand by, by people in in Cologne in Germany on New mm. Year's Eve, and it was all of the news, and the media was hyping it, and you know, just peeing their pants over the whole thing. And uh, couple months later, a little quiet headline, but almost basically, yeah, five or six weeks later, in the middle of um, middle of February, just a week or two ago, um, the news comes out that the people they arrested fifty six people, mm-hmm. I think, for these attacks in Cologne, and I think, I think none of them, three, sorry, three of them, three were refugees. Uh, Uno, dos, tres. Three out of 56 arrests, i.e. it was not about refugees at all, but that's all people remember now. That's what happened. But no, it was just basically uh, people of, I think they said they were more or less uh, maybe Algerians, Moroccans, whatever. Yeah, other uh, Muslims who had been living in Germany, probably born and bred, German German citizens who were doing this, but it was all blaming the refugees to hype that up. And someone did that deliberately because obviously... They didn't wait until the facts were in. Somebody decided that it was refugees. Oh, yeah. And the media just pushed it in everybody's face and then, and then ignored the fact that, oh, it wasn't refugees anyway. It was even more sophisticated than that. It primarily came through social media. They had their armies of sock, pu- sock puppets uh, ready to go New Year's Eve. Boom. Because uh, one of the complaints from the right and the, quote, alternative media, has been that the media is not covering this. The media is not covering right. this. Yeah, right. Well, they are. They're forced to respond to all these rumors coming around on social media, a few of which have a, a basis in reality, but for the most part is complete and utter fantasy. You know, hordes of Muslim invaders raping all our pure white women. That's what people took from it mm-hmm. in one sentence. That is a fact. That is a reality in the heads of Europeans and North Americans who just ate all this up. And uh, I was going to say, yep, I forgot have, some, have some more coffee. <laughs> no, 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 I've had enough. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was even, yeah, it was even more sophisticated because it was, it was, it was primarily through social media and through the quote free and independent alternative media, like Prison Planet, wink, wink, and specific yeah. people I won't name on the air because I don't want to get into a flame war with them. Who, Jones? Not him, but his pasty white British underling. Oh, Paul Joseph Watson. Jesus Christ, that guy's unreal. I know. And his, his little rant on YouTube got half a million views within two days. I know. Pure white European civil values. Under Muslim threat. horde. Coming to get us. Raping our women's. Idiots. I mean, what the fuck were you doing? Excuse my language, but I couldn't, I, I was so like, where's, this where, is a guy who's been my beeper? bragging on the evils of the US empire and the globalists. For 15 years, and then he just like becomes a globalist overnight. He doesn't get it. When he's ranting on their behalf with this narrative, he's doing them a favor. Mm. He's working for them. Anyway, this is the situation of Europe. It's coming through the right, you know, like that, that, that mindset, if you like. What were you saying, Harrison? I was just going to say it's the same as Alex Jones 
and uh, his support of Sarah Palin and Donald Trump. Someone made a really good video contrasting the things he was saying about Palin to, like, um, you know, when she had her little election bid several years ago to what he's saying now, and it's the diametric opposite. Like, the things that he was saying, he actually uses the same phrases that he was using to criticize Palin that to support her nowadays. And it's 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 a, it's surreal to watch this. And I think, I mean, I mean, we've been writing about Alex Jones for years, and I think it, it just goes to show how obvious it is now that he is a total shill, and Prison Planet is a total shill, and it's just all a fraud. Um, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, anyone else got anything specifically on that, or are we going to a new topic? Let's go to a new topic. That's our new topic uh, jingle. In yeah. other news, <laughs> but the thing is, it's hard to say this is definitely like a distinctly new topic. It's kind of carrying on the disintegration of Europe. So on the one hand, um, the Muslim horde are accused of it. On the other hand, Russia is accused of it. Remember, the, the, all these articles come out, like especially in the British press, about um, the recent one that comes to mind is Top secret U.S. intelligence investigation into Kremlin influence operations. And the details were that the, the NSA and the CIA are going to be investigating political organizations in Europe to find out just how exactly Putin has managed to subvert and divide and conquer all of Europe through ideological means, blah, 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 blah. Yep. So in other words, projecting all of what we're describing here mm -hmm. Onto Putin, you know the way people project things—the psychological truth, uh, truism, or even truth about uh, about human human beings—that they tend to project, uh, disown things about themselves onto other people. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very common, and it happens a lot. And it's in all the psychology books, and it's a part of human nature. It's amazing to see this writ large globally. It's amazing to see uh, from, from from the experience you might have had of it. Uh, with one person to seeing it happen, as you're describing, uh, on a global level, where where the, the accusations that, that most people listening will be aware of, of the accusations against Russia over mm. the past uh, two years, uh, at least, uh, to see that um, to see them accusing Russia of exactly what they're doing themselves, and even to the point of I think we mentioned this previously of that uh, some military guy that was. Uh, doing a stint at the U.S. State Department uh, press uh, briefing, mm -hmm. and uh, one of the reporters in the, in, the, in the audience asked him about the allegation that Russia was threatening, was moving uh, westwards. And the, uh, the, the, the journalist said, uh, but isn't it true that uh, it's the opposite, that, that NATO is moving eastwards to, towards Russia? And he, and the guy uh, says, "Well, no, that's not the way we see it." And the guy, and the journalist said, "But it is true that uh, NATO has moved into all of these Eastern European countries right up to Russia's border. Uh, so obviously, what you're saying about Russia moving aggressively west is not true. It's NATO moving aggressively east right up to Russia's border. That's indisputable." And the Pentagon, you know, press guy said, um, "Well, that's not the way we see it." Yeah, well, that's, why, that's your perception. Why? Because you've got your head on backwards or something. That, that is that. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, but isn't this guy? Don't you agree that this guy is blue? Well, that's not the way we see it. 
we like to see this guy as a kind of a, you know pinky orange blue. we see we see reality as we make it so ridiculous. I mean, he came out and said it. So that was massive projection. I mean, the guy had just basically said, you're projecting here. You're doing exactly what Russia, what you're accusing Russia of doing. And the guy just said, well, we, we don't see it that way. Of course, people who project don't see it that way because they're projecting all of their own evil doing onto someone mm. else. It's just it's, it's, hilarious. It's amazing. It's amazing to behold. And for those of us who might, those of our listeners who will get the esoteric reference, we start to get an idea of what it means for realities to split. Yeah. You have... A chasm develops where you've got two completely different perceptions existing in the same time and space, yada, yada. But they're so at odds with one another, and there really isn't a way for you to be in between. Mm-hmm. There's one, and there's the other. And uh, it's it's fascinating to behold, and it becomes more sharply defined mm. as, as things devolve or progress, or whichever way you look at it. Uh, I see it as progressive. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I think this is all good because... The, the point we're making here is that um, uh, the point that you started making was that Russia is being accused hysterically of all these, all this evil doing by the West and it's in all the media and people have been in the West and the Western population have been bombarded with this for the past two years. It's all of it patently false. Um, and... <laughs> there's there's a a guy I can't remember who it is some commentator just coined the term Russophrenia, mm. and he described Russophrenia as the the simultaneous belief that Russia is a failed state that it's falling apart, uh, and is also on the brink of taking over the known the, the civilized world, and. This idea seems it's possible for these people to hold two completely contradictory ideas in their head at the same time and and, and talk about them, um, particularly politicians in the West, in, in, in Washington and London and Brussels. They, in almost in you know in one paragraph, will say pretty much <laughs> that convey that idea that Russia is. Uh, to be d- d- dismissed, they, they'd like it's it backwards. Be, it's an aberration. It's, they'd like it to be true that Russia is an aberration and a backwards country and a failed state. Uh, but then at the same time, they can't. They, they don't recognize the the fact that they've just said that, and then they segue into, "But yeah, we need to do something about Russia because it's a clear and present danger to everybody in the civilized world. They're trying to take over, um, you know, our our countries. They're they're trying to infiltrate, like you said, our, pol- our political parties. They're you know so." Uh, what do you what do you do about that? You're talking about people who are kind of functionally insane, who say exact, who contradict themselves in, in almost in the same paragraph, and, and don't seem to have a problem with it. And when you challenge them on it, they'll say, "Well, we don't. That's not the way we see it." <laughs> no, that's your truth. I have my truth. Yeah. So, so where I was going with this was the disintegration of Europe. Um, in the news a lot at the moment is this Brexit thing. Britain's exit or possible exit from the EU. It's been brewing for years and it's primarily because a Conservative Party came to power in the UK in 2010 with this as part of their manifesto that they would put a referendum to the British people in or out of the EU. It's come to a head now recently, or it appears to this issue 
as far as I see it, this is the British on behalf of the Western Empire doing exactly what it's accusing Russia of. This is to disintegrate the EU. Maybe not literally. They have now said they'll have a referendum. doesn't matter how people vote because we know they'll just rig the vote in the UK like they did with the Scottish referendum. So whatever the outcome is on June 23rd is sort of irrelevant. The act of bringing about this as an issue in the UK and therefore an issue for Europe gives Europe something to think about means that they're holding this threat over the EU as it's develop, uh, developed up to this point to say, well, look how easily we can cause problems for the whole continent. And it's, it's so, it, it, the reason I'm quite sure of this because it's almost identical in some of its um, characteristics to what was going on in Europe pre-World War I. The stuff coming out of the British Foreign Office played a massive significant anyway role in the the knots that various countries russia austria serbia and germany and france and belgium all of them east west got themselves in that produced world war one and a lot of those knots were spun and came out of the british foreign office which was of course then the world power it was the western empire head hq it's not anymore but it's basically a wholly owned subsidiary one, one of the people, just one of them in the British government, who is Mr. Brexit, he's been talking about it for years. He's one of the people who, who got the Conservative Party members to support having a referendum and got whipped people up that got them into power back in 2010, is the current Foreign Secretary, um, Hammond. Uh, let me see here. So the British elite make an issue out of Brexit, and now they've announced a referendum Cameron, the leader of the Conservative Party and the British Prime Minister, is saying that he wants people to vote against it. What's the point in having it if you're going to say vote against it? Because they have no real action. This isn't about their own belief in whether or not it's beneficial more for the UK to be in or out of Europe. That's irrelevant. It's about something else. Hammond said recently, just think of projection now as I say this. <clears throat> this is a Telegraph article from a few days ago. Europe could fall apart if Britain votes to leave the EU and would, quote from Hammond, lurch very much in the wrong direction, the Foreign Secretary has warned. Philip Hammond has predicted that a contagion of other European countries could call for their own referendums if Britain left the European Union. Here's Hammond. Britain has an enormously important influence on Europe, an influence to open markets for free trade, yada, yada. That's, that's been the British stick for 200 years open markets, free trade, as the, the fount of all brilliant ideas of, of Western civilization. But then he added, I think people who say, uh, this is glorious, pe people who say that the EU would do fine if the UK left, which is true, <laughs> it wouldn't make a dent. The EU doesn't, it wouldn't make a dent on the European economy if the British economy was not a part of it anymore. Anyway, those people who say that forget that the countries remaining in the EU would be looking over their shoulder at those in their own country saying, if the British can do it, why can't we? Mm. He knows exactly what he's doing when he says this mm. because he knows that the results of the British even just holding a referendum, whatever the results will be, mm -hmm. is having this kind of, it's setting the thinking in motion in Catalonia, in Bavaria, in Flanders, mm -hmm. all over Europe. Hang on a second. 
if they can do it, why can't we? And so then the EU as such, hmm. Germany in particular, has a problem hmm. disintegration. Right. So it's kind of like uh, a version of the Arab Spring uh, in the sense that um, promoting this kind of a democratic upheaval or revolution in, in Arab countries, this is more like the pasty white Western Spring. Yes. It's the and and of course that that idea of breaking up a contiguous either a country or a block of countries that is in, a, in a, an economic or or political block uh, that's very old geopolitical strategy for uh, the major the empire basically the, the Western the, the American and, and, and British Empire the Anglo-American Empire it's because classic that's, well, that's what they did in the Middle they, East right after yeah. after the First World War the Ottoman Empire they go in and they decided to break it all up because and they broke up Yugoslavia Yugoslavia is a big country they decided to break it up into five or six different countries because by bombing it in that case um, because they're much more easily managed and I think again this goes back to Russia that they have decided that uh, 10 15 years ago seeing Russia uh, the, the their, their their crystal ball viewers in, in the empire saw Russia saw down the line what it was going to what was going to happen in terms of a a unification political economic unification of Russia and and Western Europe and the EU they said that spells death for us as the Anglo empire Anglo American hegemon in the world and we need to do something about it and I think this idea of breaking up destroying the EU uh, and pushing it back into uh, kind of individual states that are possibly or could be made antagonistic towards each other is very much in line with this doomsday plan mm -hmm. of the Anglo-American Empire mm -hmm. to stop Eurasian integration. Yeah. Because it's, Eurasian integration means the end of the Anglo-American Empire. So what we're seeing here is the death throes of the Anglo-American Empire and them doing everything they possibly can. And they, they, they can do a lot because they're a bunch of nutcases. Yeah. Uh, to, and they're willing to do an awful lot and go to very far, really go to extremes to, to stop a natural order you know, a new order developing naturally. Yeah. Not a, and this is, and this might be, it's interesting, a reflection of, of other kind of more broad kind of cosmic influences that may be uh, happening at this time where a, a new natural order, even in terms of, uh, of the planet or, or, or the, the human race on the planet, that, that there's a new natural order beckoning uh, for humans as, as a species and uh, it's being reflected in, uh, on a political level, um, by by what I just described, uh, this the, the 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 push or not the push but the natural inclination or, or movement towards a Eurasian integration, and that is being resisted by the evildoers, the 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 historic evil evildoers on this planet over the past three or four hundred years, which is the Anglo Americans, and and that uh, a new natural order developing at the level of human the human race and human nature or human spirituality, let's say, is beckoning also, and there, there are forces out there that want to stop that happening as well. So it's just interesting to see that parallel between the more abstract cosmic kind of forces and in terms of human evolution on a, on a broad scale and how it reflects down to hard, hard nuts and bolts geopolitics on, on the planet, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when I think of... When I think of... Um, the Western Empire and its hold over the whole planet. Um, and it does have a hold over the whole planet. Even if Russia and China have some degree of, of sovereignty, it, it, we're in a transition phase, but it remains the fact that everybody 
can only maneuver so much under the hegemonic state of play in the world. And ultimately, they don't intend this, of course. They, they have their own view of it. Well, they would say, that's how you see it. <laughs> we see it as bringing civilization to the world. But in fact, what their function is, is to retard human evolution. Right. Think of it like a net over the whole world. That They must retard, beat it down, suppress. It's... it's uh, it, it's so well, they can't. It's a losing game. There's no way to do that because when you do that, it's trying to suppress, it's trying to cover and, and keep down a, a pressure that's building naturally. And that is a natural, the, the forces of nature effectively uh, as they're manifested in human beings. The, the uh, living system clearly wants to break through it. Right. And if you try to push down on that lid, ultimately on a pressure cooker, ultimately what's going to happen is you're going to, it's going to blow up in your face. It's going to spring a major leak. And of course, that, that, may, that could have parallels in terms of the, the, the influence, the effect that the, that the totality of the human race and its emanations or its energy has on the planet. Uh, that could manifest in major kind of uh, leakages, violent leakages on the planet, let's say, in terms of, and we're seeing that, of course, as well, in terms of the environment. Um, you know, outgassing sinkholes, volcanoes, earthquakes, you know, uh, weird weather, all that can be seen as a manifestation of the repression of the energy of, of humanity, effectively, the creative energy of humanity being repressed. And transformed and into... It's transformed the, into something else. It, it finds well, it's, trans, it's, it's <clears throat> the, the currency is transformed into those creative energies mm -hmm. produce suffering. Right. But they also tend to they tend to tend to change the system, change the paradigm. They, they they achieve by holding down that pressure. You actually achieve, or you speed up even uh, what is what 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 is going to happen anyway, uh, because major earth changes, for example, would equally spell uh, the end of the current system, because we're talking about major, broad macro macro level global level. Uh, yeah. environmental events that, you know, for example, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the big one in, in uh, California or in, in, on the west coast of the US, but that's just, that's just one example. It could happen in, in, in any number of places, but if it happens in the west particularly, and that's ultimately where it's going to happen. We had the tsunami in Indonesia in 2004. There's been earthquakes in, in, in New Zealand, uh, you know, quite mm -hmm. devastating ones, but if, if something uh, of that magnitude happened, for example, in a Western country, either in Europe or in America, the seat of global power, effectively global economics and stuff, well, it would have a, a, a relatively much bigger and more more uh, pronounced impact on the order. You know, absolutely. Um, you remember in the past, you you've um, you've written about the powers that be seeing all this coming in some way, even though they will say things like, "Well, we don't see it like that." They they do kind of they must do in order to be able to contain and work against it anyway and that with the writing on the wall they're looking three steps down and seeing oh oh oh, oh. and so they have a plan of action mm -hmm. and we, we you put it like um it would probably be via financial weapons mm -hmm. and what they will do is say okay three moves ahead and we're done let's flip the entire chessboard just wreck it yeah I think I think this for Europe this Brexit thing mm. 
assuming they go through with it mm. and that they're not holding it as a threat mm. and then well they try all the time to threaten yeah but the question is do but they, if they follow go, through if that goes through that could be another um, I think that could be part of wrecking the chessboard a political earthquake yeah yeah definitely I mean that's that's the analogy of wrecking the, earth, wrecking the earthquake wrecking the uh, chessboard is uh, the analogy we've we've used in the past where and there's a quote ascribed to uh, to Putin I don't know if it was, I think someone else might have said it, but it fits anyway where allegedly Putin said that uh, playing chess, or, or um, not playing chess, but having a kind of political or diplomatic dialogue with uh, with the US or with Obama or with the, the leaders in the US, between the US and Russia, is like uh, playing chess with a pigeon. It lands on the board, uh, knocks all the pieces over, craps on the board, and then struts around like it won. Um, I think that was Engdahl, actually, in an earlier article. Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's an often often used quote, you know. But the analogy that we're, we we've kind of used is a similar one, where the U.S. is um, in playing chess. There's a, you know the Brzezinski's uh, global chessboard. Um, the great powers in the world have always kind of played chess in this way, played political chess. And what we're seeing happening at this point is that with our resurgent Russia and everything that Russia has done over the past fifteen or or twenty years particularly with Putin uh, in power, is in terms of the game, the chess game that he has been playing <clears throat> with the US, the US is losing progressively. And the US, the power brokers in the Anglo-American Empire see this game going and they're smart enough to see that three moves down the line, they're going to be checkmated. So rather than lose, because it's the kind of people they are, they don't lose gracefully, they don't do anything gracefully. Uh, rather than lose they would choose to accidentally knock the whole table and the chessboard over and scatter the pieces everywhere and be able to say, well, uh, see, I didn't lose. Uh, so, because I can't stand losing. So, I didn't lose. It accidentally, uh, the table accidentally fell over with the help of my knee. And so we have to start again. Let's put the pieces back on the board and we'll start again. That's an analogy for what they... I certainly think they would, these kind of psycho nut jobs would do in the face of, of, of the threat of loss would be to find some way to wreck the entire system, uh, bring the apparently uh, self-inflicted wound almost or, um, or, or engage in or carry out some manoeuvre like, for example, uh, pushing the economy or manufacturing a, a really serious global crisis where uh, you lose to a certain extent as well, but that's okay, you're willing to accept that because of the effect it will have on your enemy who is going to win otherwise. And in this case, Russia, the, the way that they would ultimately, their doomsday plan to stop, their ace card to stop Russia, or Eurasian integration effectively, is to wreck the global economy. And because the entire economy in the world is largely kind of hinged or dependent on the dollar, it has been you know, made that way on purpose, if the dollar were to tank, well, then you can't but have a serious implications for economies all around the world. And I think we see evidence, we have seen evidence over the past number of years of Russia and China and other countries seeing that possibly happening and attempting to position themselves that they reduce the, their liability in, in, in the event of that happening. <clears throat> but, of course, it's difficult to reduce your liability to zero. Uh, everybody would be affected nonetheless. Everybody would have to do the best they could, you know. But this is the kind of thing, it's, um, if I can't have it, no one can, is the idea. I mean, there are other analogies of, you know, of pathological husbands or whatever who, 
who, uh, when their wife uh, doesn't love them anymore and goes and finds a new man, uh, rather than have to face the fact that, you know, you're an asshole and your wife doesn't love you and she wants someone else. Beep. Well, you're going to, well. It's too late. Well, there's no point in beeping for me. If I don't beep for what you said, uh, <laughs> instead of allowing for that fact and recognizing the fact that you that you needed to change, that you were going in the wrong direction, you you kill your wife, you know? Uh, yeah. If I can't have her, no one can. And that's basically the position we're in with this Anglo-American empire. They've got so used and so so full of themselves and so consumed with their own power and, and, and the evidence they have of, uh, they've had of them being top dog for so long. The idea that they would have to take their rightful place, which is way down the ladder, um, is, is just, uh, they can't countenance it. They, they won't, they're unable to even conceive of it, and they're willing to destroy everything rather than be knocked off the perch. Right. One little um, <clears throat> counter note to European disintegration is that South Ossetia has announced they're going to hold a referendum to join the Russian Federation. Mm-hmm. This year, Yay. you heard about that, Harrison? Yeah, I saw the headline. But yeah, it, I mean, I mean, they're gonna love. They're gonna go apeshit over that too. Um, but uh, yep, it's been a long. Next, yeah. yeah, go on. Oh, the, the, I'm just wondering what the Western media response is going to be. Putin annexes another country or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, w- I was thinking, looking at it, if you look where South Ossetia is, it's just, it's in the north of uh, Georgia there, and it's uh, it's an independent mm-hmm. region, has been for several years, and it's aligned with Russia, and they want to kind of hook up with uh, a previous part of uh, of North Ossetia, effectively, that's inside the Russian Federation now. And uh, I was thinking, really, in that situation, it would just be so go- cool, because Armenia is more or less sided or li- aligned with Russia, uh, but between... Yeah. Between the south of Russia there and uh, and Iran and Turkey, uh, you just have Georgia and Azerbaijan. And I would just, I mean, I might put in a call to the Kremlin and just say, listen, Putin, I think uh, it's a good idea if you go ahead and invade or, or, uh, Georgia and Azerbaijan or, you know, just take them in some way. I mean, you could stage a coup. You, you know, you maybe just use the template from uh, Ukraine, from the, the, the if Western you pay, If you pay Newland enough, you could hire her. If you give, yeah, if you, if you got Newland. She'll bring cookies and all. It's yeah, a great package. Yeah. She could bring Russian cookies, like uh, Matryoshka dolls or something, and hand those out in Georgia and Azerbaijan and say, listen, it's all fine. It's a wonderful color revolution. What color will it be? Rainbow color. No, it can't be rainbow color. Uh, some color. Indigo. Indigo revolution in Georgia and Azerbaijan at the same time. And then when the Georgian state forces uh, suppress, trying to suppress this wonderful democratic grassroots revolution. Russia could come in and put down the state forces from trying to uh, bomb their own people and, uh, and terrorize their own people. And these bloody dictators in Georgia and Azerbaijan, brutal dictators, should be put down and thrown out and thrown into the Caspian Sea. And then Georgia and Azerbaijan then would immediately vote to join the Russian Federation and you'd have Russia coming right down then onto the border border of Iran and the border of Turkey. And then Russia and Iran could join forces and invade Turkey and drive them all into the Mediterranean and see how they like being on boats. And And then Russia would get Constantinople, finally. Russia would get Constantinople and then that would be it. You know, and uh, well, then you could deal, it wouldn't be too hard to deal with the uh, with the head choppers in Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Uh, I would just run them into the desert and let them marry camels or something. <laughs> uh, 
and then David Attenborough could do a, a new documentary on <laughs> Saudi, Saudi camel lovers of the Arabian Desert. <laughs> That's my plan for the future. Harrison, you got anything more to add on this topic before we move to a new topic? Well, just on the subject of the the analogy that Joe brought up about, um, well, the chessboard, wrecking the chessboard and the kind of abusive husband, there was an example uh, kind of aligned li- with that in the last few days. The, the U.S. launched an airstrike in Libya. Right. And... Yeah, and um, I can't remember what the what the actual target was, but they ended up killing more than forty people, including two Serbian hostages. Uh-huh. These were like um, diplomats that were that were being held. And this this airstrike happened right after the negotiations had started, and so Serbia is royally pissed off that this happened and is demanding an explanation. And the Libyan interim government is saying this was an illegal airstrike; it violates our sovereignty. You, you did not have permission to do this and we're going to have to look into this and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's just um, another example of the, the typical American you know, military mindset that we can go wherever we want, do whatever we want to do, kill whoever we want. Yeah. And we don't have to tell you, you don't have to give us permission and you're just going to have to live with it. And so I, uh, I mean, there are protests in Serbia going on. Um, and, and of course it comes, well, every U.S. airstrike that does something like this comes at the same time that they are—they have their, you know, giant in- disinformation campaign against Russia, saying these things about what Russia is doing in Syria, which they aren't, and it just totally exposes the utter hypocrisy and just murderous intent of the Americans wherever they are. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Just wanted to bring that up. Well, we pointed out we had um, the Moriarty's on late December, mm-hmm. <clears throat> late December, and they came on, they said, listen, Baghdadi, uh, Al-Shabaab, and Boko Haram are meeting right now in Sirte, in Libya. We know exactly where they are. All you got to do is go in and take them all out. They didn't do that. And now they're bombing. No doubt they haven't taken any of their significant assets out. But they're doing it unilaterally. And you notice that the EU made a point of saying, uh, we're not going to intervene in Syria until we get an invitation by the legitimate Libyan, or? Libyan authority. Yeah. Which is a marked mm-hmm. break from uh, the, the previous episode that kick-started the first war in Libya in 2011, when the EU was out in front, the British, the French, and the Italians were pushed out in the front, and they were the ones doing the doing the the bombing for the most part in Libya. Uh, and now the U.S. just unilaterally gone ahead and done it. And I think that's another sign of this desperation. They they couldn't wait, or they couldn't uh, they gauge they couldn't get European support when they wanted it now, and they just went ahead and did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. In other news, weather news. It's snowing in the United Arab Emirates. 
Uh, first time in ever. Apparently it snowed there over a couple of days. That's normal, isn't it? No. That's in Siberia, isn't it? No, that's in the hottest place on Earth. Or right? one off, yes. Oh, that's strange. Can we say that, uh, <laughs> you know, huh? hell, is, hell is frozen over? Hell is frozen over. It's about to, yeah. I think as a sign, it's about to. Um, okay. Absolutely nuts. It, it actually it snowed in Kuwait for the first time ever last month. Um, I think it's the polar jet stream doing another one of these massive dips from the Arctic all the way down. Uh, well, UAE, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, where it's also been snowing, aren't that far south. But of course, it's hot region. Normally, it's desert region. They might get a hailstorm once in a blue moon in the winter. But this year, they've had the desert blanketed white with hail and snowfalls. It's not the only place in the world where it's happening. It snowed in Costa Rica. That's in Siberia. No. Costa Rica is 10 degrees north of the equator. <laughs> First time ever. And it also snowed a, snowed a bit further north in Guatemala. That wasn't the first, so meh. It's the second time in three years, so yeah, that's normal. But the second time in three years, it never happened before, so it's not normal at all. Um, any other weather news? Oh, yeah, there's um, a storm that's just flattened Fiji, mm-hmm. the strongest ever storm to hit Fiji, Cyclone Winston. Clocking in with wind speeds of 325 kilometers an hour. That's 202 miles per hour sustained wind speeds. Category 5 cyclone. It is not only the strongest storm on record to slam Fiji. It is the strongest ever storm in the South Pacific. And their season hasn't actually started yet. It's called Winston W because it's still on the count from last year. This is like an extra a bonus from 2015. So you just got to pretend it didn't happen in 2016 because it's not supposed to have started yet. Otherwise, it would be called Cyclone Alfred mm-hmm. or something. So, uh, yeah, it's a massive storm. Uh, it's, it's uh, poor Fijians. I was going to say it's only hit Fiji, but Fiji has well, a population of 900,000. Um, not many deaths reported, but the country's flattened. I mean... 90% of them are without power. The storm's moved on to the west. I don't think it's scheduled to hit anywhere else, but it's an, yet another one, another record breaker. I mean, just last month, the earliest ever storm, earliest storm in in, in the year, ahead of uh, Cyclone Winston, formed near Hawaii. It didn't make landfall anywhere, I don't think, but that's the earliest ever South Pacific storm. Um, also three weeks ago, the earliest ever North Atlantic storm, which is supposed to start in what, June? Hurricane season? Formed in the North Atlantic. And instead of veering west as it's supposed to, it went east towards Africa and then north over the Azores. That's uh, three in a row in the space of a few weeks. I mean, that's something really weird happening there. Um, any other crazy weather? Tornadoes in... Um... Well, tornado season. Didn't that used to be a season? What is tornado season now? Well, it's just everywhere. Well, all, it's, all it's, times. Uh, yeah, it was uh, in Miami. Um, just kind of came out of nowhere recently. Um, and... I think it was, yeah, Dade, uh, 
Miami Dade County, whatever. Um, it just kind of touched down and <clears throat> blew a lot of things away and stuff. But I mean, this is kind of I think this we're pretty far out of traditional storm season, and I I'm not sure it's called a tornado, and I'm not sure Florida is that used to tornadoes. It's usually kind of Gulf, uh, you know, or Atlantic or, or Gulf hurricanes. That North Florida, threaten. maybe, but Miami, yeah. no. But uh, the problem is so. the problem is the time of year as well. Um, I mean, hurricane season starts in uh, starts in the kind of end of the summer or whatever, and passes through um, passes through autumn into into winter. But usually around this time of year, it's gone, right? That's hurricanes. hurricanes Tornadoes are March, right? In the center, of the so US. it's early, yeah. In Tornado Alley. It's basically out of season, like so much, so, so much other weather that's happening. It's yeah. not strange, I suppose, that uh, you would have anything that's out of season. Um, yeah, of course, um, I mean, it's kind of, to a certain extent, over now, but uh, the UK got hit by a series of storms as well this winter, similar to previous winters where you just had this kind of roller, um, kind of... Uh, Conveyor belt of, of storms, one after the other. Same as South, Southern California. Yeah. Um, wild weather all over, but it's getting a bit, you know, at this point, talking about wild weather, it's just, that's just talking about the weather, you know. It's kind of like, it's like a boring conversation almost, you know. It's like talking about the weather, yeah. What's the weather like today? Crazy? Wild? No, it doesn't make any sense anywhere. It's, it's, it's extreme everywhere. Unusual weather. Flooding. Yeah, I mean, the flooding that we've seen in over the past several years in the UK and Ireland from those storms coming in, broken all sorts of records, you know, historic records, the, the, the rainiest or the most the most rain in 24 hours, the most rain in a month mm-hmm. ever. <clears throat> and of course, um, there are, uh, I mean, the idea of that kind of, a, that kind of precipitation happening uh, if it got colder um, or if you had a jet stream a polar vortex, as they call it, coming down, uh, meeting some kind of a storm like that, and it falling as snow. It's just uh, <clears throat> you're talking about meters of, of snow at that point. Um, there's on SAT. There's a couple of articles about uh, two governments um, in which governments were they? Two governments uh, talking about uh, yeah, the Pakistani global government. Global, uh, global cooling that we're going into an ice age. Basically, the Pakistani government said 2019 was when we were going to hit global... Not, they didn't say global cooling, they said a new ice age. Mm-hmm. So we have governments breaking ranks in the sense right. that they're actually telling their populations to brace for Cold. a shift into an right. ice age. Right. They're being, they're, they're being a bit more specific about it and it's based on uh, on the weather patterns. And I mean, okay, you know, the, the mantra over the past number of years has been climate change. Uh, yeah, everybody can see the climate is changing and it's crazy weather, like we've said, all over the place. Um, but that's too general and that just, I mean, of course, behind that is the idea of global uh, warming effectively and um, a, a raise, a, a, an increase in ocean uh, levels and flooding of different places, etc. But uh, nowhere in the climate change uh, kind of ideology is an ice age officially recognized as being the most likely thing to happen although except in Bilderberger notes well global cooling they talk about as well yeah, yeah. but none of them go so far as to say an ice age but it's going to be it's it's it's, it's more than likely that the, the chaos that we're seeing right now is uh, 
chaos before a flip to a new kind of a new parad- paradigm, a new stable paradigm. I mean, the, the planet has been stable in in its weather, at least in terms of the way it's it's divided up. It's colder in the north and and, and warmer in the south, etc. For a long time, it's, the planet goes into um, it. It doesn't persist in a chaotic state uh, for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years. It it falls into a chaotic pattern. Uh, in in the run up to or preceding a change into a new paradigm, a new paradigm, and that new paradigm seems to be um, as above, so below. The chaos in terms of these right. wars and the disintegration of regions mm-hmm. is 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 to stave off, or it's a symptomatic reaction to the inevitability of the arrival mm-hmm. of a new paradigm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Harrison, you <laughs> Harrison, have have another injection of coffee there. Any nope. other any other new news tidbits? Yes, it's not weather related. No, um, but oh, to moving, look out for. Are we moving to a new topic here? On. Yeah, let's let's move on to a new topic here. Okay, here we go. So, in other news, coming out of the place of chaos that has been in the news for two years now, more, Ukraine, it looks like there is potentially the beginnings of a new Maidan. There's this group. Yes, excellent. Uh, It started about a week ago with statements from right sector saying they're basically going to take over the country and get rid of Poroshenko. But now this this group, I, I don't know all the details yet. I don't know if right sector is directly aff- affiliated with them. They're calling themselves the Revolutionary Right-Wing Forces Movement. And they have set up camp uh, tents on Maidan, and they're calling for people to do this all over the country in squares in cities all over Ukraine, calling for basically the ousting of Poroshenko, and um, they're calling it a peaceful uh, you know, th- this is a peaceful protest, a peaceful movement, um, you know, which is probably unlikely. We know how these things go. Um, but at this point, you know, it's just started. It's just been a day or two that they've been doing this. And already, apparently, Poroshenko called out the SBU to shut down coverage of what's going on. And there have been some, no no violent clashes, but there's armed groups um, there's the police, there's guys in camo, not sure which side they're on, but they're getting in between the protesters and the the police. So just something to watch out for. We'll probably have more news on it uh, next week to see if it actually goes anywhere or if it just kind of fizzles out because there have been um, protests in Ukraine, you know, since the last Maidan. That kind of That's what happens when the Anglo-American Empire touches anything. Yeah. Yeah, let me just get this straight. They want a Maidan again because... The current regime isn't right wing enough. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but they Pretty have much. they have a law on the the bill that they're discussing right now. Get this: to ban calling Russia Russia, Ukrainians mm-hmm. will no longer refer to Russia as Russia. Mm. I'll lie to. I mean, they couldn't be any more reactionary right wing if you 
put little moustaches on all of them and gave them what are they wristbands call, with the swastika. But what are they going to call Russia? Uh, they didn't say, but they're going to ban calling it Russia. I think they want to call it the Muscovy Empire or something. <laughs> it's a throwback to medieval. Yeah, the dirty, stinking empire. It, in this video, there's a, there's a video of uh, one of the leaders of this movement um, you know, on some, some stairway at some building in Kiev. I believe it was Kiev. And he's giving their little manifesto. It's an ex-military guy or current military. And he's saying that this is a peaceful movement. But then he says that we, you know, our guys in the, are fighting in the ATO over in the east. We don't want, we don't want Ukraine to, to fall apart like Donbass and Lugansk. And we're going to, we're going to basically fight against the, the Moscow's, the, you know, the, the derogatory term that they use for Russians. And he came out some other word that I didn't know, but it's another derogatory term for the guys that are in power, like the oligarchs in power. Um, now, you know, like you said, the, the, the current regime in Kiev is pretty far right wing, but at the same time, it's just, it's, it is total chaos over there. The corruption is, is probably worse than it was previously oh, or yeah. just as bad. Oh yeah. yeah. It's so and bad. So there, yeah. Go on. Go ahead. It's, well, so, go on. It's, it's so bad. It's so bad that the guy they brought in from Washington to become the economy minister, minister of the economy for Ukraine, quit because it's so bloody corrupt there. Mm -hmm. Their own underling, I think he's a, some academic American guy, quit. <laughs> I mean, oh, my God. And then the IMF changes its rules so that Ukraine basically remains officially insolvent when it's a complete basket case. Oh, insane. So and, no and change... No change in Kiev, then. No, yeah, go no, on. No change. But finally, one, one, one of the biggest uh, guys that's speaking out against corruption is Saakashvili in, in Odessa. So oh. he came in on this, on this ticket that, um, that, you know, he was going to fight corruption. And uh, there, I, I saw a little documentary clip. Some news crew had followed him around and interviewed Odessans. And they're like, okay, well, what do you think about getting a, a Georgian uh, to, to lead your region? And they said, well, you know, he can't be any worse than the guys we've had before, so yeah, we're going can. to give him a shot. <laughs> and so he's been, he's been going around and, and uh, um, you know, he, he's, he's pretty outspoken against corruption. And he got, apparently he got a raise recently, and it w he came out later and said this was against his knowledge. Someone, someone gave him a raise, and he didn't know who, but he's going to find who gave him this raise and, uh, and punish them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very bad. I'm sure he will. But the... Just like in Kiev, there's so much infighting and factions. You just have yeah. to look at the, the daily footage of, of them speaking in their, in their parliament and the, the regular fist fights they get into. It, it's just, it's, it, you know, it, it, the, the result of the Maidan has just been absolute chaos and total corruption, and the country is a failed state. And so, um, what can you expect? There's just going to continue to be all this infighting because no one is getting anything out of it and it's just creating this massive like disaffection amongst all groups in Ukraine. So it's gotten more but down in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, no change in Kiev. But what's going on in the southeast? What's the situation there? Anything? Like in Donbass? Yeah. You know, I, I, I haven't really seen a lot of news. I don't know um, I don't know, like, what the, the latest breaking news is, um, 
just that the there there continues to be, of course, you know, violations of the the ceasefire, and um, you know, I haven't really seen um, you know any kind of big news coming out of there. What about you? Um, Medvedev, the Russian Prime Minister, when he spoke in um, at the security conference in Munich this year, said. Uh, you know, speaking of refugee crisis, I'd like to remind all of you Europeans, he didn't use the derogatory term, but he should have, that we have absorbed over one million refugees from the Ukraine mm-hmm. in the last 18 months. Um, they have actually shown, there's one good example of some of the truth about what's going on, what happened to Ukraine and what's going on emerging in Western, in European press and media. The French, of course, they, they show this documentary that basically says what really happened in Kiev at the Maidan and the kind of regime that is currently there at the moment. Um, but even other mainstream European outlets have been, I think, reporting about how bad it is in the Southeast. Um, I don't know what... What kind of population is still left there? 20 million? No, that's too much. Maybe something more like 10 million. In this very small area, it's pretty densely populated. Um, I think they're... I, I don't know if it's, it's approaching a humanitarian catastrophe like like in Yemen, but it's pretty bad. If the people aren't starving yet, they're certainly short of some basic needs, particularly medical needs. Um lack of power. I mean, they're basically in this frozen zone now where Kiev uh, has not adhered to any of the commitments it agreed to in the Minsk Accords. And the conflict in Syria now preoccupies Russian foreign policy for the most part. I I feel for these people because they're kind of frozen out for now. Yeah. I don't know what can be done for them beyond people lending their support in any way they can. Um, There was a guy reporting from there, Graham, forgotten his name, British guy who ended up staying in Ukraine, reporting directly from there. I haven't heard from him recently. Um, Yeah, it's just one more more human graveyard in a world littered with them. Um, Everything that the empire touches, turns into this graveyard. So I suppose we'll just have to watch the space. I mean, who knows? If Syria is the front line at the moment, that can shift. It can have um, knock-on effects. I mean, I imagine a scenario somewhere down the road where Kiev, the Kiev regime is gone, at the very least. Uh, yeah, and if the right wing, if the really right wing crazies get any kind of power, they'll probably want to reinvigorate the war on the east, in the southeast on Donbass. So that could escalate. I don't know what the prospects are there, but um, you know, something to watch out for. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we're going to leave it there for this week, folks. Uh, we've given our new radio format 
a good test. We didn't have any callers. We had a few people trying to call in, but they didn't seem to manage to go through the process. Uh, we saw someone, I mean, the process is you click on the speak with the host button. It opens a little dialogue box where you have to just allow access to your microphone, your headset, whatever you're using, whatever's plugged into your computer. And a few people didn't seem to know how to click on that thing, which was just basically click on it. But anyway, uh, it's pretty easy. Maybe next week we'll have someone uh, who'll go through that process and, and successfully get uh, on air so we can test some of the uh, can test the audio quality, basically, for people who call in. Maybe some of you listening in the chat room will uh, commit to calling in and uh, saying something, even if it's just hello, how's it going? Hello, I'm just listening. That's yeah. fine. Just, just yeah. help us out here. But we'll test this. Oh, hang on. Oh, we uh, we might have someone here. Ask, ask, and it shall be given to you. <clears throat> uh, with, I think we might have. Yeah, we we have a caller here. I think. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and. Hey, Can you guys hear me? yeah. Is this is this? It's Brent, Brent from uh, Manhattan. Hey, Brent, how's it going? Hello. Hey, Brent. So I can hear you on my speakers, but you're not coming through my headset. Are you guys getting any feedback? Yeah, no, that's fine. No feedback. And you're pretty clear. Sounds good. Uh, I just wanted to say I love the new format. I think the the radio function is amazing. You guys sound way better than you ever did on Blog Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. There's no cutting out. There's no echoes. There's no weirdness. It's great. Yeah, and you're far clearer than any, any caller that's called in Blog Talk Radio as well, you know? Oh, yeah, I can't hear myself, but uh, yeah. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's great. We have a couple more. Uh, did you want to say anything? Here, I'll, uh, I'll go. I don't know. There's no hang-up button. Yeah. I, I drop can, me. I can drop you. All right. Thanks, Brent. Talk to you soon. Yep, yep. Bye. Bye. Next. Uh, well, asking for me, asking for name. I don't know. There's a couple of people waiting here. They're, they're just going through the little process of um, of getting. Uh, someone's called. Oh, that's caller seventeen. Sorry. Uh, oh, let's put this one live and see what happens. Hi, who have we got in the line? Hello, caller seventeen. You the, are. The name says Rao. Hello. You are Rao, live. is your mic working? Rao, is your mic working? Maybe, Maybe not. not. That's <clears throat> All right, that one wasn't working. That's interesting what Brent said. So he can play the show, have the show run, and he hears us through his speakers as if he's listening to the show, whereas before it had to be through a headset. Okay, so maybe people, maybe people don't need to click. Hello, Rao, you on the, are you there, Rao? All right. He's trying to say something, but maybe his connection isn't working. I don't know. All right, Rob, we'll have to try again later. Um, well, we've got, we've got a bunch of people. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, okay, here's caller nineteen. Hi, caller nineteen. Oh, Dominique. Yes. Hey. Excellent. Hi. Where are you calling from? You're in California with a K. Yeah, that was a joke. <laughs> yeah, it was a good one. You're calling all the way from the Pacific, and you sound really good. Say something. Um, how are you guys? How's the weather there? 
Well, it was great today, actually. It was about yeah. 17 degrees. What's that? It's like 65, 70, degrees, 70 Fahrenheit almost, and sunny. Okay. Which yeah. is very strange for, it's very strange, it's strange for here, probably not for California, but it's strange for here. Yeah, it's, it's similar here. Yeah. Excellent. So, uh, are you hearing any rumblings of the big one over there? Um, no. Um, no. Although, I mean, I expect something, you know, yeah, well, it's good to be good to be prepared. But I mean, is that it's been on the news and um, it's been on the you know on the media here and there over the past few years? Do you, is there much talk about it in general? Do you ever talk about it to anybody uh, on the street type thing? Not that you go up to someone on the street and talk to them about it, but you know what I mean? Is it? Uh, um, no, actually, the the um, the topics here are more about drought and uh, fire danger, right? Yeah, well, I suppose it's uh, it's not something that's probably a good dinner conversation, you know, because <laughs> there's not much you can do about it. I suppose um, yeah, it's not it's not very yeah, it's not very uplifting or inspiring conversation. It's certainly not in polite company. Um, but um, yeah, I, I I'm you know I can imagine people uh, who who are like yourself who are or keeping a watch on it and keep not that you know looking out for it, but that you're aware of the possibility and stuff. It's uh, it's something that you probably want to be um, it's something that you want to be prepared for in some way or other. Because I mean, in a situation like that, there may be some um, you know, a little heads up, an advance warning that would give you the opportunity to be first in the queue to kind of like you know get out of there, as as is the case for any uh, earthquake prone uh, part of the world. You know, it's the people who are watching and expecting it who have the best chance of, uh, of of getting the hell out of there. You know, you don't want to be caught in a, in a tailback or anything like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think about it often. Um, and, you know, there, there are certain plans that we have, you know, as far as, I guess, getting out of the house and grabbing things and all that. But, um, I mean, if it's a big earthquake, there's really not that much that you can do. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, um, yeah, I think we might have somebody else on the line here. Um, we'll let you go. Right, down now, the are, you guys, are you are you guys going to bump me because I have no way of getting off? Here. Yeah, no problem. We'll bump you. Okay. All right. Thanks yes. for calling in, Dominic. Sure. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye. Bye. Um, yeah, for the other people who are calling, who are t- trying to call in. Um, uh, you have to click on the little thing that allows uh, the computer to, or our connection to, basically uh, access your microphone. So if you haven't done that, then you're not going to uh, go to the next step of being put on air, basically. So there are a few people in that queue, but they haven't done that step yet. So, uh, okay. Well, we've had a good test anyway, I think. So we'll... Uh, We'll leave it there. Um, that was pretty good. We, we yeah. talked to the Northeast and Pacific of the US, and both were clear. So, Alice Clark. Yes, absolutely. Anyway, I'm just sorry, I'm just reading the chat room here. What are people chatting about? Oh, all sorts of stuff. 
<laughs> How cool the Dutch oven is. Yeah. People are talking about all sorts of things. They're not even listening to us. I don't know why we're even here. Can you see people? We should just have a chat room. Yeah. They're just chatting away. Everyone there. get together at a certain time well, every Sunday. Just, and just read what they say and comment on it. Yeah, exactly. They just they just they just chat uh, chat away and, and they, they hear us in the background and they're probably thinking to themselves. And the one of them. God, pi- I wish they'd shut up. I can't <laughs> chat. I can't chat properly. What is that noise? And one of them pipes up and says, "I think they're talking about us." Yeah. Well, yeah, we're anyway, talking yeah, about we'll, you now. <laughs> you chatters. And you can see all their. Um, you can see their icons. I know. I, I, I've got all the names and addresses. I, I know where they. <laughs> I know where they sleep. All the people aren't listening. Chatting instead of listening. No, I'm just kidding. Um, oh, there's somebody else trying to call in now. Um, seems to be a bit of a hurdle that click on that button that says allow access to your microphone. Um, anyway. Um, it might be that on their end they need to source something out. They, no, probably not. They, no. They, they're clicking that, but it's not. They're getting an error message. Maybe. Who knows? So They can let us know. Maybe we can try and trouble, help troubleshoot this with people on the uh, on the forum thread. Yeah, about this new. If anybody had any problems, if yeah. anybody tried to call in and had a problem, uh, let us know on the forum on the thread on the forum. We we put up a thread about the new uh, SAT radio format. You can let us know in there. Yes, Breton, we're on to you. Yes, Ignatius, we're talking about you. There's the people in the chat room now know that we're talking about them. Aha, uh-huh, they know. So this. they're probably not going to be, they're probably going to pretend that they're listening from now and they're going to you know, make it look like they actually listen to us when in fact they are just into the chat. Really, I just come here for the chat. <laughs> the chat and the cookies. Um, yes, anyway, we'll stop waffling. Um <laughs> We're still waffling on here, um, and once again, for the second time, say goodbye for this week. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Um, we, uh, yeah, it's been good. We were very happy with this new setup, and I think everybody else is as well. Um, it's been really clear, and the callers have been clear, and the chat works and everything, and Mikey and Scotty, who put it together, uh, deserve loads and loads of cookies. Applause, applause. Kudos. Where's my applause button? I don't have that yet. I'm going to get an applause we button. We need some sound effects. Yeah, we're going to get Put sound up. effects and all sorts of things, bells and whistles. I can go and forward. a bleeper for the next a, time I curse. A bleeper for Sorry. Me. We'll call it an we'll Nile bleeper. Where's the Nile bleeper? Uh, yeah, so... Um, yeah, thanks again to the chatters and callers and listeners, and we'll be back next week, as we said. And thanks to Harrison. Thank you, Harrison, for being on and sharing your wisdom. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. We'll be on Truth Perspective on Blog Talk next week, just so everyone knows. Yes. We haven't made the transition yet. But soon, soon. Oh, soon. God, you guys are so old school. So old school. <laughs> <laughs> I get with the times. All right. Until next week. We are in the condition we are in. Take care in of each other. Of See you there. In. in the state of war, Bye. in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network. The world for people who think. Who think.